Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League. In fact, it is the number one daily NFL podcast on the number one daily sports podcast network. I am Brian Peacock alongside Matt Williamson. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. You can find this show and all of the podcasts here on the network on all of your favorite podcast apps. We're finally getting to the NFC draft ditties. If you remember a few weeks ago, we did the AFC notes. This is the NFC one draft note on every team in the NFC. We've got some news about NFL's plans, coronavirus, and the NFL draft. The player vote extended, Matt. The CBA talks ongoing. Uh, Some players unhappy about what's going on with those negotiations. And I think we should start really quick with a retirement in the NFL. Marshall Yonda, 35 years old, very good offensive lineman for a very long time, is calling it quits. He is retiring from the NFL. This is big news, and you know we'll get to the CBA. That's obviously the biggest news around the league right now. But I think Yonda is a Hall of Famer. I mean, I think he's at that Hutchinson, Fanica type level of guys that are on the cusp and maybe takes a year or so. But part of really good teams and a focal point of a great offense. You know, obviously with Lamar and uh, Stanley's a good. You know, they have a good set of tackles. Stanley, the left tackle, is a really good player. But the interior is a little weak and kind of very weak now without Yonda, who was not showing age, in my opinion. I thought he was as good as ever. This one kind of came as a shock to me, considering how close the Ravens were. So you look at the Ravens, and yeah, they're a qual- they're a great team. I mean, don't get me wrong, but I thought there was a chance that they would go running back you know, earlier than people thought. I really think they need to find some sort of established move that change wide receiver. Now the offensive line comes to the forefront with offensive needs. And, you know, Judon aside, who probably gets franchised, but maybe not, they're front seven. The linebackers, they need some speed there. And their edge guys are kind of questionable. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get this team back to a 14-2 and kind of unit. To put it into perspective how good of a career Marshall Yonda has, because offensive linemen don't get fantasy football points and they don't have all these statistics to show how good they are, here's one. Eight Pro Bowls for Marsha Yonda since he was the third-round pick of the Ravens in 2007. Eight Pro Bowls and a Super Bowl victory. Only Larry Allen and Alan Fanica are on that exclusive list. So he joins some of the best guards of all time there. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's one of the best guards I've ever seen, including Hutch and Fanica and those guys and um, Martin and Dallas. And Yonda's done it a long time. I think that's a Hall of Fame resume. And he'll be missed. Here's one really quick here, and I don't know if we need to spend a lot of time on this, but if the the Ravens are looking for some more draft picks to replace guys like Marshall Yonda, they might trade RG3. And this is a report from Ian Rappaport that the Ravens are drawing interest for RG3, which to me, I don't know if it passes the smell test. Who's trying to trade for uh, Robert Griffin right now? Yeah, that's an odd one. I mean, you would think of all the quarterbacks that can move, he would be... 15th on the list, you know, well down the pecking order. But if somebody, I don't know, if somebody's thinking about installing a system similar to what Baltimore plays, who's a better mentor for the young guy coming in, you know, and Lamar's probably past that point. They can always draft another athletic guy to be the backup. And I I don't know what you think about RG3, but he had tons of injuries I think he was kind of given a raw deal too. Like I, I feel like he was given up on 
a year or two too early. Yeah. And maybe those people got sick of the injuries, but I, I, I'm not sure that his story was properly written. Right. It was, I think, a combination of things. Obviously, the injury hurts, and he looked good, actually, under Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan in Washington, right. but he's not a perfect fit for the Shanahan offense. They had Kirk Cousins, too, so with the injury... Then they have Kirk Cousins, who's this perfect West Coast offense style of quarterback that the Shanahan's fell in love with, that Kyle Shanahan apparently still loves and was thinking about trying to bring to San Francisco at some point when he was a free agent before they traded for Robert Griffin. So then Griffin gets sort of kicked to the curb in Washington, and then all the coaching staff changes there, and then Griffin really never had any more success than he even actually had under Shanahan. But I think your point is perfect that if there's a team that's trying to install something that the Ravens are doing, that would be about the only reason that that would make sense. And there's a very short list of teams. Then you could try to figure out who might be actually doing that uh, talking about trade. But it seems as though it's probably agent driven or maybe Ravens driven with this story and where the information is coming from. And apparently the Ravens really like Trace McSorley and might only keep two quarterbacks and want to go with McSorley as the backup potentially. Yeah, right. And you can always draft someone, not, nothing resembling Lamar, but you can get a McSorley in the sixth round every year, you know, a project-type guy. Um, it hasn't come to fruition, but I'd be a little frightened to just abandon my backup, just considering the hits Lamar takes. And I know he's a special player, but I may be a little more conscious of my backup than most teams. I totally agree there. One more quick one. Gabe Jackson drawing trade interest as well according to Ian Rappaport. Now, I, I, I didn't go down this rabbit hole. If Gabe Jackson and RG3 have the same agent, then we definitely know where that information is coming from. <laughs> right. It happens to show up the same day, you know, about the same age, you know. Yeah. The CBA, the players, let's start here. The players have uh, their their deadline to vote was supposed to be a week long, which should have ended Thursday. It's been extended to Saturday. So we might not know this week now what the results are of the vote on the new CBA proposal. And this is probably the owners trying to get it through and want to give the players enough time to actually vote on this thing and get the votes that they need to pass it. There's been some very vocal, very popular, high-profile players that have been against this deal, even the the newest version of this deal. Uh, One of them now, who was just traded this week, Russell Okung, is going to the National Labor Board and filing a complaint against the NFLPA saying they're not negotiating in good faith. A little over my pay grade to discuss such things. I don't really know. You know I mean, I don't know the finances and the legal terms of all these things, but I love that they are, there is a hard deadline now. I was wishing it would be done by now, or but, you know, so so be it. And I do think it takes longer to get all these votes and get all the proper information to you know, X amount, every team, 53 guys, including, um, and, and plus the uh, practice squad guys too. So they all get equal votes. So you can see where it won't, it wouldn't just happen overnight, but it has to happen very soon. I mean, I feel bad for these free agents. I feel bad for these front offices. You know, how do you negotiate with Dak when you don't even know what the cap and the rules are going to be? And then as for Okun, um, from all accounts, he's a very smart guy and he represents himself. He doesn't have an agent. So maybe he's smarter than the average bear or thinks he's smarter than the average bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard yeah. to know exactly what's going on there. And the players being split isn't necessarily a great look for them because you want the players to be unified if they're trying to negotiate against the owners who are very pow- powerful in the NFL. Uh, one other note that goes along with this, and this is really going to make things condensed in that 
legal tampering period leading up to the opening of the new league year and free agency officially opening March 18th. Usually we have a really good idea of all the high profile guys get it done before the, the actual free agency period opens. Thus the legal tampering period of two days. Well, now since the vote is moved back, now the franchise tag deadline is again being moved back. It's been what the third time I think that they've moved the franchise tag deadline. Now that's Monday, March 16th, which was supposed to be the beginning of the tampering period. So the vote could happen Saturday. All of a sudden, Monday, franchise tag deadline. Teams have to decide things very quickly, and then you can start tampering right away. And I was asked last week, if it's a no vote, then what happens? Well, then it's off the table. I mean, it's just they're, maybe they'll talk behind the scenes, but they're going to proceed as if it was never proposed. They're going to go with the old move. There'll be two tags available. They'll know the cap. So I imagine all these front offices kind of have two scenarios, like if – because there's not a lot of time to react. If this gets uh, if this gets accepted and happens, boom, we're going to attack this group of players or we're going to make these offers to our own or give Dak this type of contract. If it doesn't go down, well, we, we're much more uncertain about the future. We have these two tags. We'll have to proceed much differently. But they're going to have pro- I assume they all have two plans of attack in place. And yet another note that really uh, isn't related to this, but is related to what's going on in the country and in the world right now with the coronavirus scare is that the NFL draft, nothing has changed so far with the draft. And as far as the league's concerned, everything right now planned as normal Las Vegas with the draft. Good. Um, So that's good news. uh, And hopefully it stays that way. Another one that's outside my pay grade to say the least. And maybe I'm in the vast minority, but I think the general public's a little worried about this scare more than I am. Traveling, that's the that's the rough one. There might be a much less turnout in Las Vegas than they expected, even if things are as normal. And who knows, uh, there might be one of those. It might be a situation like we're seeing in some stadiums, and we're seeing now Santa Clara County. There's no gatherings over 1,000 people, so hockey, San Jose Sharks games may be affected, and some things like that. If that happens in Nevada, if it happens in Las Vegas, which is a place where a lot of people come from a lot of places and get together. If you were uh, worried about getting a virus, that would be a place probably to avoid. We might get a draft with no fans. That's probably true for the last 50 years, though. That's very true. And we might see people (laughs) on boats with no cheering fans uh, going up and uh, and talking to the commissioner. But it sounds like everything else is going to go as planned in Las Vegas with the draft, at least. One little note on the the, the virus situation, though, is I do know that the owners were really pushing for this CBA to go through because they were really worried about, and again, I'm way talking out of my my, my comfort zone and my pay grade, about Trump getting um, reelected and the economy crashing to some degree. And I just bring it up because the stock market has crashed so violently the last couple of days. I wonder if that, if, and it leads back to what are TV people going to offer the NFL depending if economic times are good or bad. And again, I have no clue what I'm talking about. I'm just recycling information. But I wonder how that affects potential TV deals, money coming in, cap. I mean, I'm just looking at it from a football perspective. Right, yeah. And so if the, one of the first things to go is advertising budgets, are the TV, when they're negotiating a TV deal, are they going to be less likely to to go over the top with with huge money to the NFL because they're worried about a downturn in the economy. So it is kind of all related, and it's something to monitor mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, it is.
All right, let's get into the NFC Draft Ditties. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we did the AFC Draft Ditties. We've been holding off on the NFC. I think today's a good time to do it. Let's get into it. We've got a draft note on every team in the NFC next. Okay, Matt, your draft ditties, this is your time to shine. I enjoy your draft ditties that you put together here on it. Every team in the NFC, you can go back and hear the show about the AFC from a few weeks ago. Let's start with the NFC East and leading off here, the Dallas Cowboys. Or if you want to preface this thing for those that don't remember yeah, what exactly the draft ditties are. Yeah, if you didn't listen to the show a while back, and I've done this every year on Locked on NFL, where I, I write an article for Draft Digest. I basically write almost their entire magazine, except the the player profiles, the rookie profiles, the, the draft profiles. And every team has a little draft ditty. So I go to drafthistory.com. I stare at the Cowboys until something kind of dawns on me that, oh, look at this trend, or wow, they haven't done this in a while. And, you know, there's some some real interesting ones, in my opinion, that explains a lot. And some of them are a reach, to be very honest, because I had to come up with 32. So we got two more segments left of the show. We're going to do the East and the North, and then we'll finish it up with the last two divisions. And as you mentioned, Dallas. Since they selected Des Bryant in the first round in 2010, that's 10 years ago, the Cowboys have used just two picks in the first three rounds on wide receivers. Makes sense. I mean, I guess they did use a first-round pick to acquire Amari, but people you know, receivers get drafted in the top three rounds like crazy, and especially this upcoming year. Uh, Dallas hasn't been one of them. There's been a ton of good draft classes since 2010 at wide receiver. So to completely bow out of the early rounds, not completely, but they've only drafted two in the first three rounds at wide receiver tells you why they needed to spend a first rounder in trade for a wide receiver because they didn't have anybody there to replace Des Bryant because they didn't spend any picks in the first uh, three yeah. rounds on wide receiver. So there you go. There's a correlation on why they had to make the trade because they didn't have anybody ready to go because they didn't make those draft picks. This is maybe the most startling. New York Giants. Carl Banks. Remember Carl Banks? Played with like LT. Yeah, you know, absolutely. <laughs> he was the last linebacker the Giants selected in the first round. That was 1984. <clears throat> wow. And they might, maybe they'll take, you know, what's his face? From Isaeah, Simmons. Yeah. Starting appetite. to yeah. see him in mock drafts at pick number four. I still think maybe offensive tackle is the way to go for the Giants, as great as a prospect as. Uh, as Isaiah Simmons is, and I've watched a little bit more of him recently and seeing that speed on film and seeing the way he can run down players is freaky, but that's telling. Might and time. it's odd because that's multiple. This goes, a lot of these draft ditties go back a few years and it's the same decision makers. This is multiple decision makers. And I, I wonder if it's something organizationally that, or it's just, oh, it has to be. or it's just luck that they haven't gone linebacker. And if that's organizational um, philosophy, you would think it would continue and they would go for big people and draft offensive tackle over linebackers. So maybe that's telling. And, and if you're doing a mock draft, maybe you should still stay at OT and not go with Isaiah Simmons. If you're mocking for the giants at pick four. Yeah, agreed. And it's to a similar stance. You know, the Eagles have had cornerback trouble, you know, every year that's one of their team needs. Well, the last time the Eagles used a first round pick on a cornerback was for Lito Shepard in 2002. Uh, this one's one that's going to change. <laughs> if this was organizational right. philosophy, philosophy philosophy might need to change with uh, today's <laughs> NFL. And that is one of the big needs for the Philadelphia Eagles. If there's a year that that's going to finally change, Lito Shepard. Wow, that's a name I hadn't thought of in a long time. 2002, that's making me feel old too. Um, first round pick on a corner, I would put that as the top need for the Eagles right now. Yeah, I think it's going to be a receiver or a corner, whoever's yep. best available for them. And that, that streak absolutely could break. Another crazy one, 
Redskins, not exactly loaded with wide receivers. I mean, Terry McLaurin's a really nice player, but in their last 18 drafts, the Redskins have used a first-round pick on a wide receiver once. Josh Doxson. Wow. That's... Not so good. Yeah, and you and when you think of Washington over the last decade, you don't think of big-time receivers, right? Pierre no. Garçon, uh, I'm trying to think of who their best receiver was over that time. I mean, it's a stretch. Yeah. I mean, so, McLaur- McLaurin's a find for them, but... For sure. I mean, they've they've had some free agent types, but man, I mean, you can see why they've been so weak at it. All right, let's move to the NFC North. Chicago and, Bears. Yeah, the Steelers, Bears, and Patriots, you know, how the many have fallen, were far and away the worst teams this past year at the tight end position in terms of production. Well, Adam Shaheen is the only tight end Chicago has drafted since 2012. Is that... Oh, yeah, so they had... Greg Olson for a long time. 2012 right. was, uh, wait, who was 2012? I mean, they paid for Burton. Bur- they paid Burton. They drafted Adam Shaheen. That's the only one they've drafted since 2012. Since 2012. Okay, wow, yeah. And then, again, much. teams that, if you ignore it in, in the draft, you're going to have to spend free agency or spend in trade. And it's uh, definitely a correlation I'm seeing with a lot of these draft ditties. Yeah, I have two here for the Lions is... Well, the one that I originally picked was in their last nine drafts, the Lions have selected a tight end in the first round twice, but haven't used a first rounder on another offensive skill position during that time. That was a bit of a stretch. And since then, I found out much like the Giants conversation that could very well change this year with Akuda. The first, the last time the Lions selected a cornerback in the first round was Terry Fair. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> here's the other thing with the Lions is in the early 2000s, they spent, what, four straight first round picks on wide receivers. So maybe they're just like, well, if we if we do that, now we have to avoid wide receivers for what, the next decade? Decade or so, right. Yeah. But they got, and they found Galladay and, you know, I mean, there's other ways of skinning the cat, but you just see what they've done. And no one's been using, you know, they use two first round picks on tight ends. Nobody does that. Um, speaking of wideouts, again, Green Bay could easily go wide out in the first round. They haven't drafted a wide receiver in the top three rounds since taking Ty Montgomery, who moved to running back in 2015. So they've they've drafted a bunch of receivers, these tall, skinny, Valdez, Scantling guys. But Ty Montgomery is the only one they've used a premium pick on since 2015, and he's not a wide receiver or on the team. Part of it is, and part of it with the Detroit Lions, I mentioned they drafted four straight first-round wide receivers. The last one was Megatron, so that's that helps you for a decade. You don't need to go <laughs> right. high in the draft, and I think they, uh, in 2015 with the Packers, they ended up with Devontae Adams, so they're like, okay, well, we already had some good receivers before that. Devontae Adams now is our number one. Let's just throw some late picks and see what we get here, and it looks like, it started to look like those picks were going to pay off last year with Marquez Valdez-Scantling, uh, he didn't really turn out to be as good his sophomore season as people thought. And then uh, EQ, Equinemius St. Brown got hurt. And then now the Packers are in that need for wide receivers. Seeing them getting mocked a first-round wide receiver a lot at number 30. Right. And it adds up. You know, you even use a second-round pick or, you know, a premium pick in a while. Let's wrap this segment up with the Vikes. Teddy Bridgewater is the only quarterback the Vikings have drafted in their past eight draft classes. Usually you take a fifth-round flyer. I mean, I know they signed Cousins, but Bridgewater's signed with the team. Right, and that goes way back before Cousins, Traded too. Traded for so, Sam Bradford. Yeah. 
Right? <laughs> yeah, bad, <laughs> bad quarterback. And the the Vikings have drafted really well. I just recently went back and looked at some of the Vikings draft, and and they've hit on a lot of draft picks. A uh, quarterback position was a big need for them. They went with Kirk Cousins. He he's played well. Hasn't taken him over the top yet. Teddy Bridgewater didn't turn out great for them with the injuries. And Minnesota in the last year of Cousins' contract, might be in the market for a quarterback yet again. And now all those great draft picks that they've made over that time are starting to get a little bit older and not playing as well, guys like Xavier Rhodes. And so their window is starting to close. And unfortunately for the Vikings, they're going to have to continue to draft really well and find their quarterback of the future if it's not going to be Cousins after this year. Yeah, or extend Cousins or make a trade. Maybe that's just not their style. It's an organizational thing. We don't trust ourselves to scout college quarterbacks. We're just going to find a veteran. I mean, Chiefs did that for a million years in a row. Let's move on to the South and the West NFC draft ditties continue next. Atlanta Falcons, what kind of draft ditties did you see here in the South? Okay, some of these are interesting. Like the AFC I really showed up was, okay, over the last seven draft classes, the Falcons have made 16 picks in the top 75 overall, right? Only five of those 16 have been offensive players, and their defense isn't very good. <laughs> yeah, the the def- that's been one of the things, and that's one of the, the trends, no- yeah. number one reason why people wanted a coaching change in Atlanta, and they finished the year strong last year, is that very reason. They're spending resources on defense, defensive-minded head coach, and the defense is not good. Something doesn't add up there. Right, right. Uh, Carolina, I'm, I said straining a little, but this was a pretty strong trend. But it, over the last six years, Carolina's made nine choices within the top 41 overall picks. So, you know, really early second round or earlier. Of those nine, four of them were wide receivers. Over the last six years, nine choices within the top 41 overall picks. That's a, that's a lot of picks early. Mm-hmm. And four of those were for wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. even like Benjamin and, you oh, know, Benjamin. Okay, that was the one I was thinking. I was like, I knew they went high with one guy. Yeah, Benjamin has not turned out well. Benjamin, no. I, I hated him in the draft. Funchess uh, was the other. And yeah. Funchess, yeah, the size. Yeah, they were trying to build that front court, a bunch of power forwards there, and that didn't work out much. Curtis Samuel. That's totally what, different. Two different styles. Two big plotters, and then let's go get the quick, better guys. And they finally got it right, I think. The New Orleans Saints. The Saints have drafted a defensive player with their first selection nine times in the last 12 years. And let's start to add up. I mean, it's a pretty solid defense. It doesn't get the credit it deserves. But all of a sudden, you're looking around and going, wow, Michael Thomas caught 119 more passes than any other wide receiver on this team. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? That's out of control, man. Yeah. Right. When you have Drew Brees and then you hit on a, a Michael Thomas, you're in good shape on the offensive side of the ball, a third-round pick, and you get a dynamic running back like Alvin Kamara, so it helps you out a little bit there. Um, I think they've made some shrewd decisions in the offensive line. So the offense, this is one of those where they – didn't necessarily ignore the offensive side of the ball, but drafted heavily on defense because things were going well on offense. And it's also telling that when you're coached well and you have a really good quarterback, it makes other things yeah. on your offense look a lot better than maybe they are, uh, even though I think there's a lot of talent on, on New Orleans offense. But yeah, that wide receiver position, that second wide receiver uh, has uh, been a problem for them recently. Yeah, right. And um, to their credit, they've I think they've drafted really well lately, too. I mean, some of those offensive Absolutely. players were guys like Ramchak, you know, who's a stud. Um, so they, they've hit on a lot of guys. Tampa. I really think Tampa's defense is 
greatly trending up, although they have a lot of free agents this year, and is a not a sleeping giant, but it's better than given credit for. So the Buccaneers' first five picks last year were on defensive players. The year before, three of their first four picks were also on that side of the ball. I mean, huge de- draft just dedicated to defense. And I think it's starting to show because Tampa yeah. Bay's defense is starting to carry them. They can figure out the quarterback position. They've got a lot of talent at wide receiver, which is why this is one of the most interesting teams for me to see how these quarterbacks fall and where they land. Bruce Arians, if he gets the right quarterback, look out for Tampa this year. Yeah. This Arizona one's a little bit of a stretch, but I think there's a very good chance that they go offensive line, offensive tackle really early. But since drafting DJ Humphreys in the first round of 2015, Arizona has drafted just one offensive lineman on the first or second day of the draft. You can't ignore it. I mean, you can't just take one here and there. You got to keep replenishing your your stock of draftable offensive linemen, or you end up with a line like Arizona has now. But again, that one I was reaching a little bit. And this goes back to the mock drafts. You see a lot of wide receiver to Arizona, and usually it's the beginning of the run, and the first wide receiver goes to number eight to Arizona. I'm all about, even with re-upping DJ Humphreys, draft an offensive tackle for the Cardinals. That's yeah. what they need most. They drafted three wide receivers last year. I know people want to make the connection from Oklahoma with Kyler Murray and C.D. Lamb. You don't make decisions for your organization because one guy went to college with another guy that's on your roster. So uh, <laughs> right. if I'm doing a mock, OT every time to Arizona at eight. Yeah, and much has been made about the Rams, and I say it all the time. They're going to go five years in a row without a first-round pick, and that's likely to happen. But or this is kind of another one of these organizational things. In their past 17 drafts, the Rams have made 151 selections averaging just under nine picks per year. They've done a great job, even without first-round picks of late, trading down, accumulating uh, compensatory picks, picking up extra third-rounders here and there, trading a pick this year for two next year. So I know that they don't infuse their roster with star power, especially lately in the first round, but they do bring in a lot of bodies every year through the draft. The Rams, and I like this philosophy because if I was in charge of a team, if I was put in charge of a franchise tomorrow, I would say this is the way to do it as far as the draft goes. Mm -hmm. If you have the opportunity to move down and there's not that one glaring, far and away great player for you that you just have to take, move down, collect picks, have more ammunition. There's really good players. The bulk of the league is second, third round talent and you can get really good players in the first round as well but I'd be definitely a trade down guy accumulate picks have the most bullets try to make your roster as good as possible and the Rams on top of that have been throwing money and and trading some picks to get some high-end talent so it's a very stars and scrubs it's it's a lot like my fantasy teams look if I do an auction draft I spend a lot early and then I try to find a lot of bargains late and I'm sort of out of the middle portion of the draft yeah yeah that's exactly who they are and I think there's a lot to do with the town they're in and they did hit on some firsts, you know, guys like Gurley and those dudes, but they bring in a lot of bodies, throw a lot at the fan, and nobody's great at drafting. So right. if you hit 50%, you know, it's one extra player a year that you hit on. Yeah, if you hit 50%, try to get twice as many draft picks, then you're at 100%. Right. right? <laughs> it's kind of how the math works, right? San Francisco 49ers. Yep, here's your team here. And obviously, they're the Super Bowl runner-up, so they've earned the 31st selection for this upcoming draft. But their average draft slot over the previous four years was 5.25. So just over the fifth pick overall. 
And that's where you get the Bosa's of the world. And they're hitting on them and they're reaping those benefits now. But they're not going to have, you know, Lynch and company aren't going to have the benefit of picking in the top six again. And here's another extra draft ditty for you for the 49ers okay. when it comes to pick 31 specifically. See a lot of wide receivers being mocked to the Niners late in round one. We'll see what happens with Emmanuel Sanders in free agency. The last two times the 49ers picked at the 31st selection in the draft, it was Reuben Foster and going back to Rashawn Woods. And then when they had the 30th pick, they took A.J. Jenkins. So the end of the first round recently has not gone great for the 49ers. A lot of busts there. And we talked about it yesterday. It's very likely candidate to trade that back, which probably would make you happy Absolutely. after our last Rams conversation. Yeah, that's, that's the smart way to do it for the 49ers. They don't have a second, third, or fourth round pick right now. All right, last one to wrap up the show. The past three years, the Seahawks have picked 12 players on the first two days of the draft, which is quite a bit, to be honest with you. Eight of those 12 play defense. And besides Clowney, who they doesn't count here, and Wagner, who happened well before that, and K.J. Wright, who's well before that, I don't really like their defense. This is another one. They've spent a ton of resources. I mean, and, and Seattle is one of those teams where every time they make a pick, I think, what the hell are you doing? Because every time Rashad right. Penny, I was like, that way. Right. no way am I going to draft Rashad Penny in the first round. First of all, running back, and I just didn't think Rashad Penny was that sort of a, a player that I, I would take all of this year's top five running backs over Rashad Penny, and they took Rashad yeah. Penny in the first round. Um, LJ Collier last year. The, here's where Seattle got lucky, though, is they got a first-round caliber player in the second round at DK Metcalf, even though they whiffed on their first-round player. So in the end, it turned out okay, but... They're they're that team where every time they make a pick, I'm like, wow, really? So they they do their I own. They, I mean, they are not influenced by uh, the outside group think. That's for sure. Absolutely, I I feel the same way every draft, and I'm certainly willing to concede that the Seahawks brass is much smarter than me. But I think this goes more to my theory that Russell Wilson's the best player in the world. I mean, they win a lot of games without you know, drafting well. <laughs> right. And the roster is not great. It's nowhere near no. where it was in those prime Legion of Boom days, yet they're still winning football games and they're a playoff team. So you got to tip your cap still to Pete Carroll and especially Russell Wilson for carrying that thing. Yeah, exactly. All right. Those are your draft ditties for the NFC. Perfect timing there, Matt. We'll be back tomorrow keeping this thing going. Hopefully have some more news coming your way from every team in the National Football League. We'll have some guests coming up this week and, of course, a Twitter Thursday. You don't have to wait for the tweet asking for questions. You can always hit me up on Twitter at BD Peacock or Matt at Williamson NFL. Tag us with those Twitter Thursday questions in advance of Thursday's program. We'll be back tomorrow right here, Locked on NFL.